It's no secret that fewer reporters are covering state government today than there were 10, five, or even three years ago. Reporters often lament the decline in their numbers, but it's not often you hear from the folks being covered about what they are seeing. Today, we're going to do just that. I'm Bruce Mole from Commonwealth Magazine, and I'm joined by Tim Buckley, one of Governor Charlie Baker's longest serving aides. He is currently the governor's chief of staff and previously served as his senior advisor. Welcome to the podcast, Tim. Hey, thanks for having me, Bruce. How would you say the press is doing covering state government in Massachusetts? How are they doing? Uh, they're doing well, uh, but you're, you're right. There, there is a discernible difference in what it's like working with these reporters and I, with, with the state media. Uh, when it comes to covering government and politics. Now that that media core has has shrunk down some, um, I've been working in communications and politics and government for almost 12 years now. And and you notice that change. Uh, going back to, to 2011, when I really got started, uh, there, there is a significant reduction in the, in the number of people covering this. And also in the way that people cover state and local government and politics has absolutely changed. And you're right in about the reduction in size. And I think that's led to a couple of changes. Uh, I think there's oftentimes slightly more likely to see a bit of a herd mentality. Uh, when there are fewer reporters, I think there's less bandwidth to cover more topics. So if there's a big major story, everyone's going to cover that story. I think there's a little bit less analysis and a little less nuance uh, out there on, on the big stories. Um, and there's less institutional memory. Um, when, when, when new people are coming in, when you lose some of the people that have been around for a long time, it's not anyone's fault, but it's, 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 uh, it's hard to ignore at the same time, the, there are new reporters coming in and, and a new, and they, they bring a new perspective and a new set of experiences. So there's also some upside there with some of the turnover as well. So there was a big, obviously a big story just recently wrapped up. Well, it's an ongoing story, but it recently wrapped up this one month shutdown of the Orange Line on, yeah. on the MBTA. Uh, lots of coverage of that. How did you think that went? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the Orange Line dis, uh, diversion coverage is a good example of when there's a when there's a smaller media core, when, when you get some of that herd mentality happening, you know, uh, it, it seemed like even before the first bus ever left the garage there there was an angle that was decided uh with with the media core on this one and maybe it's maybe it was maybe it was deserved given some of the t's um uh past issues maybe it wasn't i think the end result of the diversion would would say that it wasn't but um let, let me do a better job of explaining that um the orange line coverage before even the before day one even came around the 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 diversion on the orange line was treated almost like a hurricane was was days offshore of the massachusetts coast we had live shots uh from 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 <laughs> from mbta stations um before before anything even happened we had live coverage of inside news vans driving around the the future route of the that the buses would take for the diversion um, there, there was uh, coverage out there before, again, before anyone even boarded the first diversion bus about a, about a circle of hell that could be coming. Um, you know, some people jumped on Twitter 
to, and some of these reporters even jumped on Twitter to, to predict doom and gloom. Um, you know, you, you see some of this from, from opinion writers oftentimes, but you usually don't see something like this from, from the news side uh, before anything has even happened. Um, some were, some reporters were even kind of, you know, openly mocking how this was all going to go by, by, by posting jokes on Twitter about the MBTA system. And it was covered in scribbles and, and emojis. Um, and I get it. Uh, the, the T is not without its faults, but on this event, on the coverage of this event, a real herd mentality set in. Um, and then, and then I think that that colored the coverage of the event as it played out. Um, some of the voices, uh, that, that, you know, whether it be local officials or transportation advocates, when they were quoted on this, were using words like it's going to be chaos. People said it was going to be the biggest challenge to face their city or town since COVID, uh, people warned of, of untold economic harm to come, uh, and these things were covered, but, you know, we didn't really see a lot of that. And, and, and those voices were not questioned after the fact. And so that's how I think it tainted some of the coverage. And, and some of the other examples how it, it tainted the coverage, I think, would be, uh, I think I saw some of the goalposts for the MBTA get moved. The big test for the diversion was going to be day one, but that was a Saturday or a Sunday. It was a weekend, pretty slow day on the, on the roads and on the tee. So then the big test became the first work day. And that went more or less smoothly, as smooth as, as, as things like this can go. So then the next big test was going to be the first work day after Labor Day. And then when that went okay, the next big test was the first day when uh, BPS students went back to school. Um, and uh, uh, so I, I think that's a, a good example of how a herd mentality has, has, has set in at times uh, on some topics. So um, pushing back on that a little bit, um, I don't disagree that there might've been a mentality about it, but I, I sort of wonder, some of that was self-generated by your administration. Um, I don't know if you remember the press conference prior to the shutdown, uh, Jonathan Gulliver was, is really memorable. He's the state highway commissioner and got up and basically scared the hell out of everybody that it's gonna be a traffic nightmare if you try to drive along any of the routes that the buses are gonna be on. Um, uh, he, he, he basically said it was gonna be a bad scene from mm -hmm. a traffic, a road traffic perspective. Yeah. Um, and uh, he even had, you know, if you're th even thinking about going down there, don't do it, don't do it. Sure. And I, I, I sort of wonder whether that, did the, some people thought that was the Baker administration's way of saying stay away stay away and make it sound really bad and then you guys perform well and it and it look you look like you're great um wow. <laughs> are you are you playing the um, game well, both ways? you want to send a in in position in instances like this the 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 administration i think just about anyone in in public office wants to send a very clear direct message it's very hard to get a lot of different points across you're right there there was a, a message sent about about avoiding some of the avoiding uh, car travel in the areas of the diversion, we also said people should take the T, the uh, commuter rail, the alternative that was set up, um, and 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 take the buses as well if if the commuter rail options didn't work out. We said avoid driving. 
Um, uh, but what I was talking about was uh, people just uh, were, were predicting utter chaos on the buses, on the, the alternative service that was set up um, across the whole the whole thing. Um, and again, the, the thing about moving the goalposts, I think, is, 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 is true whether or not Gulliver um, sent the message around, around voiding driving in those areas. But again, this, it's, not a, it's not perfectly clear cut. I mean, there was also some great coverage of, of what was going on at the Orange Line and talking, and I think some of the individuals that were quoted, uh, that, that were covered, who were experiencing what the diversion was like, you saw both sides. Uh, I think there was some coverage of students who were waking up extra early to get to their first day of school. It's great context. It's good to see that people were taking the steps to be prepared. Um, and there was great coverage around all the work that went into um, planning this diversion from the state to the T to the DOT to the city of Boston. Um, there was also, you know, there was some interesting coverage in there as well. So I, I don't want it to seem like I'm summing the whole thing up. There was just some there was some prediction of doom and gloom that I thought um, was was kind of unlike any other big event that we've had around here. And you felt that this herd mentality. Uh, I wanted I want to talk a little bit more about that mm -hmm. um, because, to some degree, when you have fewer people covering what's going on, you have limited resources, so you have to decide um, what's important, what's relevant that day. And a story like that would suck a lot of the oxygen out of the room, I think, naturally, because it was also in the in August and September, typically a time when there's not a whole lot else going on at the end of August and and the beginning of September is it, the return to work and everything. But um, I guess I guess it's a. Uh, I guess I'm, I would urge you to step back a little bit maybe aside from the orange line and sort of say, what does this herd mentality mean for just daily coverage of what's going on at the state house? Yeah. Um, Cause there still are quite a few reporters, not as many as there were by any stretch, but there's still quite a few reporters nosing around, but there's a lot to cover. Let's, let's put it that way. Sure. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I think even, um, the state government picked up this massive responsibility of of responding to a pandemic and and that became obviously an entire subject area of its own and the reporters around here on the state house had to pivot and and cover that in addition to but the state government didn't stop um campaigns didn't stop elections didn't stop uh so people were were pulled in a thousand different directions and a lot of, and i you know we were in here actually day day after day um i saw reporters around here the the core that was uh was assigned to cover the the administration during that time um you know i saw them as almost as much as i probably saw them more often than i saw my own mom who just lives 30 minutes outside of boston um and and they did an amazing job um but but one of the things that i think has happened with the the effect of fewer report one of the effects of fewer reporters like I said earlier, was uh, less analysis, less nuance to some of these stories. Um, and I think what happens there is uh, you want to go and get reaction from, from, from experts when, when there's things happening around here. And I think when, there's, when there are fewer people and they have less bandwidth to, to dive into issues, 
um, sometimes the noisiest critics are often the ones who are more often quoted. They're right there. Um, they, they probably make good copy, make for good headlines. But I think what, we're, what we've seen, and, and actually this, is, this kind of played out, I think, with the primary election season, um, you know, we may hear about some of the more, I guess, more strident or more extreme uh, voices in the news more often. But, you know, what happens in reality doesn't really reflect that. Um, so with, with less coverage, with less nuance of a lot of these state and local things, you get less variety in, the, in, in opinions. You hear from fewer voices. The, the coverage contains fewer perspectives. Um, you know, and, and, and you saw in the moder in, in the primaries where more moderates won and kind of um, beat out expectations, um, you wouldn't have seen that coming, I think, from maybe some of the more uh, more strident, more extreme voices that are that are in the coverage more often than not. And I'm not saying critics should not be covered. Um, they, they should be covered. And and state government and elected officials should have to answer for, for what those critics are saying. I'm saying that maybe it, some of the uh, uh, there more, more perspectives, other perspectives aren't, um, aren't always covered as well. So let me ask you a little bit about um, how the Baker administration frames the news coming out of the administration. Um, you have a guy that's governor who's very effective at dealing with the press. He's comfortable answering questions. He doesn't get flustered very often by the questioning and, and handles it pretty well. From my perspective, from an outsider's perspective, it seems like the entire administration funnels everything as much as it can through him or through his press operation. Uh, now this was heavily pronounced during COVID because he was giving briefings every day and that was the main source of news. Most of the rest of the government was, you didn't bump into them on the street, you didn't see them around, blah, blah, blah. But it, it continues. If, you, if I wanna find out what's happening at a certain agency and you go call them, they're, they don't respond quickly. It's not like they're on their own to say whatever they want. Um, and it, sometimes it's easier just to try and go get the governor speaking about something at a, a separate event and get him to answer a lone question about that thing rather than go to the agency that would be in charge of it. Mm. Is, that, is that on purpose that uh, you're trying to funnel everything through sort of one voice? No, um, and, and, and it, de it depends on the topic. Let's pick COVID, for example. It's a very important issue that affected a lot of people uh, very personally, very worried about their health, their safety, very worried about the effects that, that restrictions were going to have on their businesses, on their livelihoods, and of their friends and their family. We had to be consistent. Um, and, and putting every single epidemiologist on this, uh, in, in from the Department of Public Health on the phone with every other reporter who calls uh, runs a risk of sending um, conflicting and, and maybe confusing messaging. Um, so there is, a, there is a real value in, in being consistent and speaking from one or two voices. 
you know, during the pandemic, we had the governor, it's true. We also had the lieutenant governor available. We had the secretary of health and human services almost every single time. And then we would have uh, uh, the commissioners or department heads available. Um, but COVID aside, uh, you, you just brought up um, Jonathan Gulliver, head of highway, was available to talk about what was going on at the Orange Line. Um, you had a number of folks from the MBTA. I saw the pictures, saw you were there, Bruce, on Sunday, I think, of um, the Orange Line uh, wrap-up press conference. You had the Secretary of Transportation, you had the Governor, you had uh, General Manager of the T, all available there at that point in time. So, I, you know, I think we do make uh, some of the other leaders in, 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 the, in the administration available. You do, but again, that's a, a major event that you guys are, truth be told, you're sort of saying, hey, we're done, we got the job done, everything worked. Yeah. And so you come out and make a presentation. I'm talking about the day-to-day -day stories that mm -hmm. say you, um, you want to know how the government is handling this return of tax cap money. Yeah. You can call DOR and get a background statement that's probably gone through four or five filters before it comes back to you. Or you mm -hmm. can go to a administration finance and get a similar response often slow because it has to go through various chains of command, or you can just go ask, you can go get the governor and ask him mm -hmm. and he'll give you uh, uh, his, his take right, right there. Yeah. Now that's a time consuming way. And it sort of hurts the nuance of, of the thing. Cause usually you only get one question of the governor and, and then he, if he wants to answer it, he'll answer it. If he doesn't, he'll talk about that and other things and, and, mm and delay the answer a little bit. So it's, it, I guess what I'm trying to say is, in some cases, the administration is not that quick to respond. I've been told it's because they wanna make sure they get it right. So everything is double checked, triple checked, what have you. But like under Dukakis, Frank Keefe, who was the Secretary of Administration of Finance, loved to have press conferences all by himself. He would yeah. invite reporters in and chat about this and that and what have you. Yeah. Your cabinet secretaries don't do that very often. Um, it's it's the governor that that speaks for the administration pretty much. That's what I'm sort of getting at. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I I could go back and list a number of instances where where secretaries and commissioners are available alongside the governor on the day to day basis. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I guess um, on the ad hoc basis of um, kind of one offs with reporters. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's not intentional. I think it's, um, it's, it's possibly a more of a, uh, just a reality of scheduling, um, making every single commissioner available every time, you know, an, uh, an inquiry comes in is not always possible. And so circling back to the way things are covered, the lack of nuance, the herd mentality, um, do you think that, I mean, you talked about how that played out in the coverage of the Orange Line shutdown. Yeah. Um, so how do you think that played out at the end of the Orange Line shutdown? Do you think the administration got enough credit for the work that was done? Or was that covered? I mean, so this buildup, I, I think what I'm hearing you say yeah. is there was no follow up to say, well, you know, these groups that said it was going to be a disaster, that didn't really happen. Yeah. 
Look, you know, there there was one there was one major outlet that that was organizing all of its orange line diversion coverage under a banner that read 30 days to save the MBTA. I don't 30 days are up. I don't know if anyone's issued a verdict that the MBTA has been saved. And the orange line diversion was not about saving the MBTA. Um, uh, no, I think there was I, I think there was very good coverage of the of the final day. Um, and I, I think just about every outlet that covered the orange line diversion at one point or another, um, checked in on the, on the completion of the work. Um, but, but my, what, what I was raising before was before the first bus even left the first garage, um, there seemed to be, um, predictions and, and an angle chosen around how it was going to go. And when it didn't go that way initially, um, the goalposts kept getting moved, like I said, but, um, you know, but on the on the wrap up, um, yeah, you know, I think uh, most of the outlets that covered the orange line at one point in time um, checked back in for the for the completion, and we're and it's it's not to say that this is done and done. Um, the MBTA absolutely deserves scrutiny, um, uh, not on just the orange line, but on on following through on the FTA directives, um, and the the MBTA is committed to a very public process. On, on how they're gonna follow through on that. And we expect it to be covered uh, aggressively. It's a very important topic. But the, the, the run up to the orange line and then the early days of it, I thought really stood out as, um, as, as, a, as an example of that herd mentality. But you know, there, there's also, um, there, there are other effects here of the, of the smaller media core. And uh, specifically when you lack the um, the regional coverage, you know, there, there is no um, the Worcester Telegram and Gazette, the Springfield Republican, some of these other papers that, that used to have a, a one or two people even up here in the state house not that long ago, um, uh, don't have a, a person up here on the third floor anymore, um, and and I think there's a I think there's a real downside to that, um, you know, in a vacuum of of local news. You see some of these dubious news sources and sites pop up. Um, it's hard to discern between fact and opinion or, or news and opinions. Some of these websites pop up are just collections of, of press releases. Um, and, and I think that turns readers and, and residents and voters off from, from trying to participate in that local um, state government uh, media coverage. And I think you're left with more national news uh, in its place. Voters and, and residents, by and large, do not approve of the way things go in Washington D.C. And so, when they're when you when you get more of that national coverage, I think it turns people off from uh, from trying to to watch and learn and read more about it. Um, it cuts the other way too. You know, the 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 shrinking of the traditional outlets um, and the and the 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 kind of uh, transition over to more online outlets. Um, has opened up media to new people who probably never would have pursued a career in journalism in the first place. And that brings a new, fresh perspective and new new eyes on, on things that are going around here. But it's hard to disagree that, that, um, that, that lack of that regional coverage. Um, I think, you know, when that, when, when that was lost around, uh, lost up here, um, people who like us who get covered lose the ability to go to another source uh, or another outlet um, and, and, and present another angle. 
um, with fewer outlets, you got fewer possibilities. Yeah, and so, uh, so that implies that some outlets are just sort of, they've got a story and they're sticking to it no matter what you have to say. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> um, it's not that easy, simple, but at times on some topics, yeah, it, it can feel that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so is there any answer to this? I'm, I'm, we're, we're in a campaign season where most of the leading candidates are refusing to debate their opponents who are running against them for office or limiting it in very strict ways. And that would have just been unheard of a decade ago, I think. And just no one would even try that because the media then would have raised a huge ruckus. Um, mm -hmm. It's sort of bubbling up now, but uh, I just sort of wonder whether the, something's shifted here and, and um, uh, yeah. we're at a disadvantage on the press side to some degree. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, it's, uh, I couldn't imagine, you know, I worked on the two, um, the, the, uh, the, the 2010 campaign and the 14 campaign. I worked at the uh, state party before that. Um, debates were part of the process, even all the way down to your uh, candidate running for state rep. Um, <clears throat> and, and for us, uh, I should say us at the time when I was working at the party, you know, we were the most of the time challenging an incumbent. Your, your debates were your only opportunity to break through and get some of that coverage in the local paper or the local radio station. Um, they were huge opportunities um, for, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I was just reading a, a national story about, I think it might've been the New York times about um, candidates from for US Senate to Congress to governor from one side of the country to the other, um, seemingly to all uh, decide to reject the idea of, of doing debates. Um, I, you know, I, it's, it's a bit of a chicken in the egg, right? Um, you need to have a strong and well-followed uh, media core to, to, to be critical of decisions like that. Um, but at the same time, if you don't have people participating in that process, it's not gonna be strong and it's not gonna be well-followed. Um, I don't know what the answer is. You know, one of the things I come back to is maybe, um, I, I think a lot of people have a lot going on in their lives um, and, and maybe some type of refresher on how important it is to have um, good, strong, local, state, government, journalism, you know, a, a reminder on, on how important that role is to keeping government in check. Um, I don't know if you do that through the education system or what, but um, it's such a it's such an important role, and and it is diminished over time, and and I don't know exactly what to do about it. Well, it sounds like we'll have to have other conversations like this down the road. But yeah. uh, Tim, I want to thank you for joining us on the podcast. Happy to be here. I enjoyed it. And to our listeners, we'll see you again next week. Thank you.